What happens when we start to veer? To wander? To allow our freedom to take us somewhere we didn't intend to go? Will we lose the road? Or is there a way to find it again? high five now there's fist bump time so let somebody know you love them i saw some punches that's okay you can do that that's okay that's all right that's all right it's always good hey guys i'm so thankful for each and every one of you i'm thankful for the honor and privilege to get to be here this week i'm thankful for our vine worship team who always create an environment where worship uh where god can be encountered and our creative team who makes this look so pretty guys i don't know if you know this uh, but they make me lose like 30 pounds every week when I'm on the camera. They do a great job. They slim me up. Tough crowd. Uh, but that's all right. I'm so glad that we get to be here today. Hey, guys, over these last few weeks, we've been unpacking this thing called Rumble Strip because we've all heard that sound, right? It's either, what, a flat tire, which some of us know too well about, or perhaps there's something that's happening in our life. And when we hit a rumble strip in our life, what we've been unpacking these past few weeks is how it reminds us if we continue on that course, then we're headed for danger. Like, we need to correct course. We need to change something. And so over these past few weeks, what we've been doing is the first week was our EFAM Sunday, and we talked about how we can be obedient uh, to what God's called us to do by reading his word and not turning from the right or left of it and being strong and courageous. Then we talked about being priests who get to go first and prepare the way for others to cross over instead of just passing by in this life. And last week we talked about what compels us to be obedient. We talked about it shouldn't be duty, which a lot of us tend to be, yours truly as well. It shouldn't be duty that compels you to be obedient to the Lord. And it shouldn't be obligation or fear, but instead the love of the Lord, the gospel itself should be the thing that drives and compels our obedience. So I'm excited today as we wrap up our Rumble Strip series with this message called, See You at the Crossroads. See You at the Crossroads. Now, uh, as I was getting ready for this, I was laughing because this may remind you of a song title. And if you know the song title, we can be really good friends uh, because we can talk about Uncle Charlie, Lil Easy, and, uh, you know, how it goes with that. And we can talk about seeing each other at the crossroads. If you know, you know. If not, that's totally fine. Look it up later. You can shazam it. And you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, if you don't know, it's from the great theologians, Bone Thugs and the Harmony. But that's okay. Don't worry about that. I just, uh, we're not going to be doing that today. Uh, I thought I was going to have to sing that song to go up here, but I, I heeded the advice of the council around me. So I made sure that I didn't. But well, the reason I want to talk about seeing you at the crossroads and seeing each other at the crossroads today is because for each and every one of us, we can follow God obediently. We can pray, we can do everything he's called us to do, but eventually we come to a crossroads in our life. That's like a four-way stop, one that's even unexpected. It wasn't on the map. There was a construction zone that wasn't in the map, and when we look, no matter what direction we look towards, it looks like a battle is going to happen. 
It looks like we're going to have a battle ensue. It looks like there's going to be something that we have to fight. And so today, that's what I want to talk about is sometimes in our life, we hit the rumble strip of a four-way stop that's coming and letting us know that no matter what direction we turn, there's a battle ahead. And so over these past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Joshua. And I want to tell you, we haven't even scratched the surface. Joshua, by far, is my favorite Old Testament leader. Uh, we, we, I, I, I could talk to you about Joshua all day long. And through this series, we've been having a little bit of a teaching moment. But what we've talked about through Joshua is not only is he a great leader in the New Testament, he can play a mean drum set. I, you, it's all right. It's all right. He wants none of that. Well done. Yeah, that is what it is from our Vine worship team. But for real, for real, Joshua, uh, we've talked and followed this journey a little bit because God set up rumble strips for the children of Israel and the nation of Israel as they were going deeper into God's promise. And so if you've got your Bible today, we're going to be in Joshua 10, and then we're going to hang out in Ephesians 6 a little bit. If you don't have a Bible, we have them free for the asking here at the Vine Church. And here's the thing. We don't want to just give you a Bible and say, figure it out. We would love to give you a Bible and help you walk through how to read it, help you walk through what you need to do. So if you would like one, we have them available in the garden. Or if maybe you'd like to do things digitally, we also partner with the Bible app, and you can follow on there from their events tab or just open up the Bible app and get to Joshua 10 yourself if you would like to take notes. So today we're going to be in Joshua 10. And throughout this series, we've just been asking some questions because we have to look inside ourselves because a lot of the, these past few weeks, only you can answer these questions. You know, you can put on a good facade. You can make like you have it all together. You can, it can look like you're just uh, Charlie Christian, if you will, who's got it all together. But instead, only you know what your relationship with the Lord is like. So today, we're going to answer two questions. And the first question is this. Who is fighting your battles? Who is fighting your battles? Because when you come to a crossroads, you've got to have some decision. You've got some decisions to make. Either you can fight your battles or you can let something else fight your battles. And that's where Israel is right here. You know, last week we picked up with Akon's sin. And we talked about how the entire nation of Israel was stopped from defeating this place called Ai because Akon stole from Jericho. And because of his disobedience, it prevented the nation or the church, as we learned, the entire church from experiencing God's promise like never before. And so as Akon was there uh, last week, what happened is after Akon is, is, is killed and everything he owns is burned, uh, Israel goes and defeats Ai, or I, excuse me, easily. So they've taken Jericho, they've taken Ai, and the next city on the stop is this place called Gibeon. Gibeon, excuse me, Gibeon, G-I-B-E-O-N, Gibeon. We're going to read about Gibeon here in a moment, but let me tell you how Gibeon was in their craftiness. Gibeon knows that they're next on the list. They're the next stop. And so what they do is they dress up like they're from a faraway country. They get some moldy bread, and they go to Joshua and say, we're from a faraway land. And we would ask that you have a peace treaty with us, and you promise before your God that you won't kill us. And so Joshua, not praying again, this is where I identify with Joshua at times in my life, not praying again, enters into this treaty he swore before the Lord, and they're thinking, okay, these people are a far way off, we're never going to get to them. They're like, you know, 
in Los Angeles, and we're in Spartanburg, so they're far away off. We're never going to get there. So what ends up happening is Joshua and all of Israel come to the gates of Gibeon, and they see some familiar faces, those people that they made a peace treaty with, those people that they promised they weren't going to kill, and that was actually the next city in God's promise that they were supposed to take. So Israel and Joshua is at a crossroads. Because the thing is, we can either go forward deeper into God's promise, but let's talk about strategy here. If you've made a peace treaty with someone you're not quite sure you can trust, do you want to go ahead and try to take the next city and get attacked from behind? Or do you want to see what God wants you to do? And so that's where Israel is, is they don't quite know what to do because they swore an oath before the Lord and they don't want to experience God's wrath like Achan did, so they decide we won't kill Gideon. So they seek God to say, what is next? And that's where we're going to pick up in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 1 is where we are. So Israel has gone to Gibeon. They've not attacked Gibeon, but something crazy awesome is about to happen. Verse 1 says this, Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king what he had done to Jericho, and its king, remember the walls fell down in Jericho? I would do the little song and verses. It is VBS season, but we won't go there. So the walls fell down, and the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace that we just talked about and had become Israel's allies, their allies, Israel's allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city like one of the royal cities. Spartanburg, we're a royal city, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like a royal city, not like Charlotte, the queen city. But anyway, a royal city, beautiful city Charlotte is. And it was larger than I, and all its men were good fighters. So Gibeon had good fighters and still entered into a peace treaty with Israel. So Adonai, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, this sounds like a Game of Thrones or sounds like, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings. Does it not? Like all these names. Isn't it really crazy awesome how all these things come together? And what happens is these five kings come together and verse 4 says, he says, come up and help me attack Gibeon because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish and Eglon joined forces and they moved up with all of their troops and took position against Gibeon and attacked it. Now remember what happened with this peace treaty is Gibeon and Israel said, hey, we're going to have peace, but if I get attacked, you got to come help me. That's what we're about to see what Israel does. And if I'm Israel and I'm the outside looking in, doesn't this go from bad to worse? Like all of a sudden the wall, the walls of Jericho fall down. The walls of Jericho fell down. They defeat Ai, and they're just like walking in God's promise city by city. Now all of a sudden a coalition is formed, and, and this entire more than one nation, five nations, are coming up at this crossroads and attacking this city that's on the doorstep of Israel. If I'm Joshua, I'm pretty angry at the Lord saying, like, come on, man. Five kings, five armies, like what in the world is going on? Why in the world would you allow this to happen? And so what happens is it started making me think that's how we are in our life, right? You see, sometimes we think when the enemy forms a coalition against us to stop us from being obedient to what God's called us to do, 
we're mad at God, right? We think it's God's problem. We shout in anger. We, 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 try to figure out, we try to figure out why God doesn't like us or why he's punishing us. But believe it or not, God is saying, Joshua, I'm taking your uh-oh moment where you made this peace treaty you shouldn't have. And I'm about to turn it into an aha moment where the world sees me like never before. Because instead of you fighting five different battles, going to five different cities, I'm going to bring the battle to you. And you're going to get to defeat all five of them in one battle. But yet, so many times in my life, if we stop right here, this is where my story will stop when I hit the rumble strip, right? I'll get mad at God about the rumble strip. Why is it there? What's going on? Why am I stopping? And so today, as we unpack this, this why, who is fighting your battles moment, I just want to ask you, before you raise the white flag, before you get mad at God, would you just ask him what he's up to? What is he trying to work in your life? Because that's Romans 8, 28, right? We quote it all the time. We talk about how God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, right? But yet so many times, if I saw five kings and all, the, all their horses and all their men and all their fighters coming at me, I'm checking the door locks. I'm making sure my little ring cameras are on so people can record my last words. Like I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and I'm shouting at God saying, you promised me this land would be great. And so today, I just want you to see the enemy may be forming a coalition against you. Who fights your battles will determine how you move forward. Verse 6 goes on to say, The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. So Gibeon did what they said they were going to do. They call up to Joshua and say, hey, we need reinforcements. We need all of Israel. And like if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, all right, five nations against some people that will go to peace for nothing. Like they'll just give up their whole city for nothing. And all of my warriors who just got defeated at Ai when Akon was sinning and we... Then we defeated it, and now all of a sudden we're going to battle again. And it's not just one city, it's five cities. Like, I'm, I'm labeling my pros and cons. I don't know about you, but like if I'm Joshua, I'm trying to have a strategic advantage here. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But when I look at this and I see who's fighting our battles, I see a picture of the gospel. Right? Like, Gibeon is literally us. We're trying to experience peace in our life. We're trying to be a part of a fulfilled promise of something in our life. But it, goes, it comes from something greater. The first week we unpacked this, we talked about the name of Joshua is actually Yeshua in Hebrew. And that means deliverer. So the deliverer is who Gibeon went to to fight their battle for him. They laid all their anxieties, all their worries at the feet of Joshua, at the feet of Yeshua, at the feet of of the deliverer and said, save us, rescue us, because without you, we cannot be delivered. Is this not the gospel? This is exactly what's happening in our life. We have to take all of our worries when we come to that crosswords, all of the things we're battling, no matter what coalition is against us, no matter how many times the finances fall through, no matter how many times the relationships fall through, all of these things that, that come against us, no matter, how many, no matter what they say about us, no matter what the world says about us, no matter how many people say, well, check out my ministry to learn how to do this correctly. No matter how many times, hopefully you're watching because I know you are. Uh, whoever says that in our life, whoever says that in our life, 
No matter how many times they come against us, we have to be like the Gibeonites here and go to Yeshua and say, hey, I need you to help fight my battle. So what happens? Well, verse 8 says it this way. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. You see the difference in Joshua here? Is all of a sudden, he seeks the Lord. He goes with an all-night march, and he asks God, What would you have me do? And God tells him this, Don't be afraid of them. I don't know about you, but I would probably be afraid. I would probably, like, I would say, God, you've brought me over the Jordan River. We've only taken a couple of cities on one side of the Jordan. We crossed the Jordan. You let the walls fall at Jericho. We've taken, I've got these two million people who need somewhere to sleep, who are grumbling all the time, mad at me. Like, something's got to go on. And so the Lord in his omniscience says, hey, listen, listen, listen. Don't be afraid of them. The battle's not yours, man. Throughout all of the Old Testament, even when Jesus came, he tells us that in the world there'll be tribulation, but we have to trust him for the victory. But so many times, I don't know if you're like me, I would be like, what's happening, God? Why are you doing this to me? Why did I lose the job? Why did I lose the relationship? Why did the car break down? Why did I lose the house? Why did I have to file the bankruptcy papers? Why did I have to do this? Why am I walking through this? And instead, maybe God's just setting something huge up in our life with the battles we face at this crossroads. So here's how the Lord delivers them. Verse 10, then the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. You see, like I said, five kings defeated at once. What if the thing you're counting out is the very thing God is counting on to deliver you deeper into his promise? What if the thing in your life that you think is going to be the thing that destroys you is the very thing that God's going to use to deliver you? Like five kings at once. Think about that. Think of all the time it saved, all the grumbling it saved, all the marching it saved. God brought the battle to them, and now they could step deeper in their promise, and they completely defeat them. And it says, going on in verse 10, Israel pursued them along the road up to Beth Horan, cut them off all the way to Ezekiah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horan to Ezekiah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. I want you to look at that again, verse 10 through 11, and see what it says there. Who is the subject of who defeated the army? The Lord. Israel participated in the battle, but it was the Lord who delivered them. And so, like, I'm imagining if hailstones kill some, like, we have hailstones here in the south, right? Like, we have hail damage, roof damage, car damage. Like, imagine these men that are ready for battle. Like, do you think they were just walking out in a t-shirt and a pair of shorts thinking they are going to fight a battle? Like, they've probably got this armor on, they're ready to go. But the hailstorm, the hailstones that the Lord threw down on them killed them more than somebody's sword. You see, so many times in our life, I think that's what we try to do is we try to set up and fight our own battle more than letting the Lord throw that hailstorm down, throw those things down to defeat the enemies that are in front of us because that's what he did on the cross. He defeated death, sin, the grave. He paid the price for it. He died, he rose again so that we could be set free, but so many times we don't want to be set free. 
We want to still take all the glory. We want to still have it all together, don't we? Like, we want to have our name in shining lights, my special sword, my special song, my special name, my special title. But instead, it's the Lord who completely delivered them. Because, you see, as I was getting ready for this and studying through this for real, I wrote this down to remind myself, the Lord can fight the battle better than I ever can. And when I let him defend me instead of me, it's so much more fun. I'm going to say that, like, the Lord himself can defend me, can deliver me better than I can ever deliver myself. That's why I needed a Savior. That's why we need Jesus Christ in our life. But when I let him fight my battles for me instead of me having to do it all, it's so much more enjoyable, isn't it? Because I get to see him do what only he can do. Like, imagine this. God in his providence throws down hailstones. If I'm Joshua and I'm pursuing these people and I'm slashing with my sword, Freddy Cougar style, I don't know, just slashing with my sword or whatever it is, I'm slashing with my sword. And I see these hailstones like, I'm afraid I'm going to get hit by them, right? But it doesn't say any of Israel died from a hailstorm. It doesn't say any of Israel died by the sword. And so many times in my life, that's what the reminder is. We have to let God fight our battles for us, yet we still have to be engaged with it. So many times I know in my life as a Christian, don't we just like sitting on the sideline and calling all the shots? Well, since the Lord's given me the victory, here's what I'm going to I'm going to take this playoff. I'm going to take this time off. God, you go do your thing. I don't have to be engaged to grow my faith. Uh, it's going to be fine, but here's what I need you to do. We talked about this last week. I need you to give me a million-dollar business, and I won't act in faith until I got a million dollars in my bank account, right? We don't like to get engaged in the battle, and the beauty of coming at the crossroads where we have to decide whether we're going to engage in the battle that God's going to deliver us from or not is we have the opportunity to say, who is fighting this battle then when I come to the crossroads? If Joshua and Israel tried to fight this battle against five kings, they would have been decimated, destroyed. Israel would have been stopped right in their tracks. There's no way that they would have experienced the fullness of God's promise. But instead, they trusted God. And so when I'm asking you as we continue on this story, right now maybe there's something pressing on you. Who is fighting your battles? Who is fighting your battles for finances? Who is fighting your battles for relationships? Who is fighting your battles for faith? Who is fighting those battles in your life? Is it you? Are you letting God do it? Is it you that's fighting the battle for God's promise to be fulfilled? Because if you are, you're headed for destruction. What's really cool is it's not just hailstorms that happened on that day. Verse 12 says on this, On that day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, this is so cool right here, Son, stand still over Gibeon and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. You want to talk about the power of prayer? Like you want to talk about something crazy awesome? Imagine if you just went outside and said, Sun stand still. Uh, you know, just the best Morgan Freeman verse or Earl John, James Earl Jones was like, just sun stand still. And it did. 
Like, I always think of the kid in the Darth Vader outfit in the Volkswagen, you know, when they automatically started or whatever that car was, and he was just stunned that it started, and he thought that he did it, he had the power to do it. Imagine if we treated prayer that way, where we could go outside and say, sun, stand still. Like, on Sunday, we go outside and say, sun, stand still. I don't want to deal with Monday. Stand still. I want it to be sun, stand still. Imagine that. And believe it or not, the sun stood still. As it was written in the book of Jasher. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never read that book. Is there anybody here who's read the book of Jasher? Awesome. So I don't know it either. So that's great. So I don't know it either. But it says the sun stood still and the sun stopped in the middle of the skies and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. There's your answer. Who is fighting your battles? The Lord. Then Joshua returned with Israel to camp at Gilgal. So what's really story, really cool about this story before we go on to Ephesians in a moment and talk about what we do at the crossroads is what's really cool about this story is you see not only large hailstones but the sun standing still. So I've had a lot of people in my life talk to me about science. If you know anything about me, I'm a nerd. Uh, at heart, I like to read. I don't know why, uh, but I, apparently I read boring stuff because it's not anything cool. When I talk to anybody out there, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that guy. So when I read things, I was reading about this and studying about this, and believe it or not, in ancient culture, there's some really crazy things that happen. Throughout all of antiquity, and we probably had more to learn about this before the library at Alexandria was burned, throughout all of antiquity, there is written record of around 1400 BC, there's a day where the sun didn't go down. Now, maybe you say, okay, well, that, that's, that's good. You've got one instance. Well, believe it or not, if we look throughout the entire Old Testament, there's a cycle when the earth and Mars or the earth and Jupiter and Saturn, the, planetar- the planets kind of line up. Now, I'm not, hear me out here before you say I'm a heretic. I'm not preaching astrology. I just want to talk to you about something. There's a pattern that goes in 54 or 108 years where the earth's orbit around the sun and Mars cross. Now, doesn't mean they're closer to each other and farther. Mars is what, like 34 million miles away from us. So it's not any closer. What happens is we're in alignment in the sun. Okay. So in ancient cultures, they believe that catastrophic events happened on those days. If you ever study Mars or you look at Mars, there's a quadrant. I think it's the right quadrant of Mars has craters all on it from the asteroid belt because it's become aligned with the earth or aligned with Jupiter and it's affected it in that way. So whenever you're studying about this, here we go without boring you with science too much, there's some kind of pattern that happened and it's called the Roche limit, if you ever want to look it up, where every 54 or 108 years, give or take, there's a cycle there where something happened in the Old Testament in antiquity in old times, okay? Let me give you some events that happened in this cycle in the Old Testament. And I want to tell you, if you think God and science don't match up, maybe the creator of the universe is driving the science, and you'll see something that's even crazier. The flood of Noah happened, and then around 200 years later, it was 210 years, so almost on that 108 cycle, Tower of Babel happened. Sodom and Gomorrah falls in that same cycle. When the exodus from Egypt happens is on that same cycle. This longest day is the 1080th year after the flood of Noah in antiquities. 
How crazy is that? The longest day. Uh, Sisera's defeat in Judges 5. Gideon's victory happens in this cycle. The Philistine defeats in 2 Samuel happens. Elijah on Mount Carmel, that happens 540 years after this longest day when he goes and all the prophets of Baal are killed. If you remember that story, that happens exactly 540 years after this longest day on that 54-year to 108-year cycle. And Sennacherib's night, where it's just the opposite, it was the longest night instead of the longest day, happens. So you say, I'm crazy. You say, well, okay, you've given me some great examples. Well, let me tell you, how many of us like Harvard? We think it's a smart school. Well, I don't know. It's in the news a lot now. But Harvard. There's a Harvard professor that, that was looking at all of antiquity and said he started investigating this to prove it wrong. Like, all, they, he, he said he believed it was something called refraction, which basically the Earth's axis tilted a certain way, and so it made, it's, it's the same reason we have eclipses and we have equinoxes, right, where we have a longest day and a, and a shortest day, okay? So he, he went to go prove it wrong. And so he started studying, and he saw, believe it or not, in his studies, his name is Professor Pickering. I want to make sure I give you this correctly so you can look that up. He looked, and in the ancient calendar, about 1400 BC, 3400 years ago, there's a day missing. And so seeing that his, his, his research was, was there, he said, well, I've got to verify this because I'm a Harvard guy. So he goes to this professor at Maryland who is studying the best time to launch a satellite. So wouldn't you say if you launched a satellite to Mars, you want it to be as close to Earth as possible so it can get there faster? Or if it's farther away, it's going to take longer. There's a lot more things that can happen. So he goes to this professor at Maryland, and he says, Hey, I'm seeing this gap in days. Since you're projecting forward when to launch satellites, can you project in your calendar this formula to look backwards? And what do you think he found? He found around 1400 B.C. that there is a day where the sun was up all day. As a matter of fact, it wasn't a full day. They calculated it 23 hours that the sun stood up. Now, what does it say that happened in Joshua? It said it happened for about a full day in verse 13. So before we go against science, against God, and science, maybe the, the God of the universe is showing us through science, showing us through his creation that he moves and makes earth-shattering things happen. When we see with our eyes that this is a major catastrophic event and hailstones are falling from heaven that, believe it or not, it's just God and his providence moving. For the longest day. And so the thing that I want to get to you from this as you're fighting your battle is maybe this is encouraging to you is you want to lengthen your day, look up at the sun. Not a Deadpool reference where you're going to be like blinded by the sun. Don't look at the actual sun. Instead of the S-U-N, look at the S-O-N. And whenever you're overwhelmed and it feels like the battle is going to overtake you, like I do this a lot of times, I'll look at my, my to-do list and it's longer than I can write. And I'm like, there's no way I'm getting all this done today. Like what in the world is going on? When you feel overwhelmed by the world, when you feel like there's a coalition from the enemy, like what they say about you, what, what you're finding, the bills are piling up, the relationship seems to be in shambles, the the job seems to be going away. The car is breaking down. The house is not getting paid. Like Whatever it is, when you feel like there's a coalition of forces against you and you want to lengthen your day and have peace in your day and you want to be delivered, look up at the sun because through him you'll find wisdom. If you think he can't bring hailstones down on stuff, if you think that he can't make that day long, then you're crazy. So each and every day, maybe you're struggling and I want you to know that when you feel like you can't get it done, look up at the sun. Because he alone should be fighting your battles, not me or you.
but I'm a man, I got this, right? That's me, that's, 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 that's how you grow up. Let me get my cowboy boots on, you know, and let me get my little, my walk. Like, I got this, by golly, I got this, right? I want to be prideful, I want to act like I got it all together. But I notice whenever I turn it over to the Lord and I start my day by praying and I ask him what he would have me do that day, it's the most fulfilling day I have. On the days that I say, God, this is everything I've got to get done. If you could work with me between 2.15 and 2.30, that would be great. Are the most unfulfilling days where I just feel like I'm overwhelmed and everything's coming against me. So if you feel like there's a coalition against you, I just want to ask you who's fighting your battle. You or God? Because there's going to be that moment when we get to the crossroads. And the second question I want to answer today is not only who is fighting your battles, but what do we do at the crossroads? What do we do at the crossroads? <clears throat> Ephesians 6, if you got your Bible, we're going to get there. Ephesians 6, we're going to start in verse 13. I love my Bible because I have those two little markers, so I get to get there a little bit faster in my sword drill, if you will. But uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 13 says it this way. As you get there, you can thumb there digitally. Ephesians 6 answers the question for us about what we do. So we know God's fighting our battles. Now, what do we do when we get to the crossroads? Because we've got to be engaged in the battle, even though he's delivering us. Verse 13 says this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. When you get to the crossroads, put on the full armor armor of God so that when the day of evil comes when the coalition tries to come against you and overtake you tell you everything that you're not tell you how you're falling short of their expectation and instead of looking at them look to the sun put on your full armor so that you will be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist the belt of truth the belt of truth in other words sometimes you just got to get up and remind yourself whose you are not who the world says you are you've got to get up sometimes and remind yourself I was uniquely made for this I was woefully and wonderfully made before the foundations of the earth God had a plan for me I'm his masterpiece to live in a time such as this to do what he's called me to do and nothing will defeat me because I'm walking in obedience to what he created me to do you have to speak that truth over your life in the morning because if you don't Something else will try to give you a different truth, won't it? That's when the, the, the social media status shout comes, or, or that's when the phone rings and the robocall that you've blocked 17 times comes, or, or, the, or the bill comes in the mail, or, 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 or the crazy situation comes in your life. So each and every day, start your day by putting on the belt of truth and reminding yourself that you are God's and that you are his masterpiece. It goes on to say, with the breastplate of righteousness in place the breastplate of righteousness you see here's the thing about righteousness you can't give that to yourself there's not one thing you can do to be righteous except receive the righteous one that is Jesus and believe he is who he says he is so when you put on righteousness every day so you got to put on that belt of truth remind yourself who you are when you put on that breastplate of righteousness you know what you're doing you're receiving the very mercy and grace of God. And what does Lamentations 3.22 say? His grace and mercies are new when? Every morning when that sunrise comes up. 
When you put on that breastplate of righteousness, you're receiving the grace of God. You're reminding yourself of the grace you've received. But here's the thing about grace. It isn't supposed to be kept. It's supposed to be extended. And if you've not received grace when you wake up in the morning, you certainly can't extend it to anyone else. So once you've spoke that truth over your life, you put on that breastplate of righteousness, you receive the grace of God so that you can extend it to everyone else that's around you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I don't have the grace of God, I'm certainly not going to act like Jesus and be Jesus to everyone around me. So when I come to that crossroads, I've got to speak who I am. I've got to know who he is over my life. And I've got to put on that breastplate of righteousness so I can extend grace. Because what happens with that, it says, and your feet will be feeded with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So growing up, I always called that the shoes of the gospel. So what is this peace that we have? So when we're reminded whose we are and we receive the grace of God, we get to put on the shoes of peace and this peace is a peace that passes all understanding not a peace that makes sense see we want a peace that makes sense Joshua going into that battle wanted a peace that makes sense a peace that made sense would be well we've already got one treaty with Gibeon we might as well sign another peace treaty with these other five kings and see what we can do to live happily ever after among these people and not experience God's promise but when you reminded whose you are, you've got the grace of God you've received. You put on these shoes of peace so you can walk in peace that passes all understanding. That's why your relationship with him is so important. Because that peace that you experience can't come from anything but him. Joshua signed a peace treaty and he missed out on God's promise. But when he walked in what God called him to do, he got to experience peace and go deeper into the promise. It goes on to say this, that we are to, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I always think of, of like gladiator or braveheart when I think of arrows, I'm sorry, and this shield of faith that we have. And we're, we're trying to protect ourselves from the flaming arrows of the enemy. You see, what happens is so many times in my life, this shield, the reason it's called the shield of faith is I want to do things with faith in myself over the faith that can come from above. And when I end up doing that, you know what I do? I go to battle without my shield. And Jesus promises there's a coalition. Satan will shoot his flaming arrows at you every day. It says he's out there trying to devour you like a roaring lion, and you're going to get shot. And when we don't go out there with that, with that shield... We wonder why we get shot, don't we? Like, don't you get mad at God? Like, why did I get shot? Like, I know I was disobedient, God. Why are you, why am I, why, why is this happening? Why don't I need faith to do this? Well, that's why Jesus walked on earth, talked about having faith of a mustard seed to move a mountain. We've got to walk around with a shield of faith in our life. So when you come to that crossroads, you got to put on that shield. Otherwise, you're just going to come back busted up. And that, nobody wants your faith when you're busted up like that, do they? You can talk about God's goodness all day long, but when they see, man, you, dude, your leg's on fire. You done got shot, your arm's on fire. The flaming arrows of the enemies there, they don't want anything like that. So you've got to have the shield of faith on. The next one that he talks about as we go on is take on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. You see, as a Christian, so many times uh, we... We, we forget, Paul goes on to say that we're supposed to renew our minds daily, right? Like we're supposed to be renewing our minds daily in the Word so that we don't fall victim to the flesh. We've got to renew our minds daily. So the reason that the helmet of salvation has to go on our head is so many times as a Christian, when we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we forget what he saved us from, right? Because we're comfortable in his peace. 
And if we don't put on that helmet of salvation and we remember what he saved us from, we'll miss out on every opportunity he lays in front of us to extend his grace so that others can experience his peace, so that others can have his truth spoken over them. If we're not remembering, if we don't have that helmet on to remind ourselves daily what he saved us from, we'll miss out on his promise and miss out on experiencing him and miss out on others experiencing him. And so in your life, I always think of Lion King's big right now. I'm, I'm in the cartoon. I haven't seen the new one. But I remember, remember when Simba looks in the water and Mufasa reminds him, remember who you are. Like, remember? Remember. Remember. Remember what he saved you from. Because when I remember who I am and what he saved, how I'm a wretched soul, chief sinner. Like, just because I'm standing up here sharing this word don't mean I'm anybody. I'm chief sinner among us. Like, I need a savior just like you and me. You know what the world needs? A savior. They don't need donkeys or elephants up in a capital city telling them how to live their life. They need a savior. A savior, not a handout. They need freedom that comes from a savior. And if we put the helmet of salvation on, we can remind them and show them that and how we're living. It goes on to say this after that. We take the helmet of salvation and then we take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God. You know, we hear this as we follow Jesus. We always hear, well, your next step is just to read your Bible. Okay. Leviticus 15. Wow. I'm not reading that again. Like, that's crazy, right? But the reason I love reading my Bible is it's not just the living, acting, breathing word of God. Did you know this is the only book you can read that can read you? Isn't it crazy how you can turn to one verse on one day and it's just right for what you need on that day? And then you turn to that same verse the next day and it's just right for what you need that, way, that day and it's completely different than what it was the day before. That's the Holy Spirit working through the word of God, through the sword of the word. And so you've got to have that as you go into battle because this is your sword. This is what you're fighting the enemy with. This is what you have to have. Like, you know, we all know that scripture guy that shares all the scripture on social media. If that's what God's called you to do, I'm not bashing you. Hear me out before you change the channel, if you will, before you do that. And if you don't know who that guy is, it's you. Congratulations. So scripture guy, the reason that he's sharing scripture isn't so that that's your quiet time with the Lord. He's sharing it to remind you to make space and make room for the word of the Lord in your life. So if you think your quiet time, if you think your time with the Bible is just reading 17 statuses on social media and liking it and maybe sharing a few of them, oh, that's so good. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Make room for the word of the Lord. Because when you do, you'll experience him in a fresh new way, and it will complete your battle armor. Because by golly, it's your sword. Who, what did Israel kill those people with? God killed them with hailstones, but they killed them with what? The sword. The sword. But it doesn't end there. The last thing you got to do when you get to the crossroads is verse 18. It says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Satan loves for you to be so frustrated at God that you don't talk to him. Totally loves being, he loves when you won't talk to God. And there's a reverence that we have to have in prayer. But if you know anything about me, I just have a conversation with God when I pray. That's the only expectation he has of me. And there are times when I've been shouting angry at the Lord. There's been times when I've cried, times when I've laughed, times when I've just told God I can't hang on, I can't do it anymore. And you know what? 
he can handle it. All he cares about is that I have an open line of communication with him. The devil knows that if he severs that in us, if he severs that in the church, and we don't pray for each other, and we don't pray for him to do what only he can do, we can't fully experience his promise in the church around the world. When we pray for each other, we lift each other up. That's why there's power in prayer. That's why we're two or three are gathered. Christ says he is there with us. Prayer, we've got to pray when we get to that crossroad. What cost Joshua in the beginning all throughout Israel going into the promised land is when he didn't pray. That's how they missed out on I. That's how they missed out on Gibeon is he didn't first pray. So as we're getting ready to, to kind of wrap these things up and go from this. We've answered the question, who is fighting your battle? We've answered the question, what do we do at the crossroads? Well, we put on the full armor of God. And the reason that we do that is because nothing the enemy throws at us with the full armor of God on will ever defeat us. Because when we've got the full armor of God on, we're going to walk in obedience to what he's called us to do. We're going to walk and experience his will like never before. Because so many times in my life, I don't know about you, but I'll start getting complacent, won't you? I got this full armor on God, but that sword's good. But like I remember that game 007. Anybody remember that on N64? What a game. Every time I went to a different level, I chose a different weapon. Right? Like there were times you needed the AK-47. There were times that you needed the pistol with a silencer. There were times that you needed to shoot the laser out in prison with your little wrist watch. Like there were times you needed a different weapon. And so many times in my life when I get to the crossroads, instead of putting on the full armor of God, instead of understanding that he's fighting my battles, I get mad about the weapon he's put in my hand and say, I need a cooler weapon. I need something bigger. I need something better. You know what, God? I would, it would be so great if you just had, if you just gave me that million-dollar business, but you got to put a million dollars in my bank account first. Like, we want a different weapon. We say, well, if I only had this, I could do better. If I only had this, I could follow you. If I only had this relationship, only had this many kids, this many cars, that jumbo jet. Okay, just put it out there. Like, if I only had this weapon, if I only had one more thing in my life, then I could do more for you. And God's just calling us to be faithful with what he's given us right now because if we have his full armor on, what I love about it is our hands are full. We're not worried about what else we need to win the battle because I got a sword in my hand, I got a shield in my hand, I got a helmet on my head, I got a breastplate on, I got a belt of truth, and I got some shoes that can make me run like nobody's business. But not only that, I'm not afraid to get on my knees and pray. And so, so many times in our life as Christians, instead of worrying about the weapon we need for the next season and worrying about what God hasn't done for us, why don't we just trust him with what he's put in our hands and steward it well and see his promise be fulfilled right before our eyes? Because I will tell you this, if I'm, if I'm honest, it's ugly following Jesus sometimes. I told you, my obedience, I'm messy. And sometimes the step of obedience he's called me to is hard. But you know what? That's how it's supposed to be. Because through that, there's so much more fulfillment than if I tried to do it on my own. Because if I did it on my own, you know what I'd do? I'd start a coaching network. <laughs> I'd start selling my stuff out there and telling you to come to my seminars and come to my, come to my things, right? Because I've got it together. But if I'm not giving God the glory, then I'm missing out on his promise. And so I want to tell you, whatever God's called you to, the thing I want more for you as we've wrapped up this Rumble Script series is this. God has called you to something. Be obedient in doing it. Just be obedient and doing it. It's going to be messy. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. But if you'll look up at the sun and see all the weapons that he's put in your hand, just see them all for what they are. You'll see that everything you need is already everything you have. If you'll just follow Jesus. 
instead of telling him what he's not, instead of the world telling you what you're not. So as we get ready to sing this song here in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask for each and every one of us, would we just be reminded who fights our battles? Like, is, is, we'll sing in the song, who fights our battles? Like, through this, I'm going to pray here in a moment that we are just reminded who it is that's supposed to fight our battles. It's not supposed to be us. We're not supposed to hold it all together. We're not supposed to have it all together. We're not supposed to be the ones that, that say that we've got it all together. Because we don't. I don't have it all together. But when I put on God's full armor, I don't have to have it all together, do I? <laughs> I can just walk in it. I can just walk in obedience to what he's called me to. I can just walk and know that no matter what forces come against me, I've already got the victory. I get to walk in it. And so as we sing this song here in just a moment, I just want us to be reminded who is fighting our battle. So as the band gets ready, I'm going to pray. And as our vine worship team prepares our hearts, I'm just going to ask you to be reminded who, re who is fighting your battles and then what we do at the crossroads. So dear Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for reminding us that we don't have to fight our battles, that you fight them for us. Thank you for letting us know that, that we don't have to fight our battles because if we did, Jesus, we would experience nothing but defeat and not your promise. So today, I just pray that we would walk in your promise. And by walking in your promise, we would walk in victory. Remind us where we haven't been putting on your full armor every day. Maybe we've just been angry at you, or maybe we've just been telling you the weapons we don't have instead of looking at our hands and seeing that when we put your full armor on, that nothing the enemy can throw against us can stop us. But when we stand and we try to fight our battle ourselves, Jesus, we're just setting ourselves up for defeat. Remind us that you are who you say you are, Jesus. Remind us that you are the one that fights our battles. Remind us that no matter what the world surrounds us with, no matter what the enemy comes at us with, that he cannot win because that's why you went to the cross and defeated, defeated the grave. You defeated sin. You defeated death so that we could experience the peace of heaven on earth right now. Remind us in this moment, Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand and sing with us. This is how I fight my battles. 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 It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. 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 It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
You see, today, as that song just said, it may look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by him. You know what we're surrounded by him with is that, that full armor. We're surrounded by him. He is the one who gives us the victory. And so maybe today you've been realizing that you've been fighting your own battles your whole life. You've been, you've been trying to fight the battle to win the war on your finances. You've been trying to fight the battle to win the war in your relationships. As a matter of fact, you've been trying to fight the battle to prolong your life, to fight the battle to, to have peace in your life. And I just want to ask you this. How's that going for you? I can tell you so many times in our life, it, it'll last for a season. It will. But eventually it'll fade away. Colossians 1 verse 13 and 14 reminds us of it this way. It says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Yeshua, deliverer, he has rescued us and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. You see, the battle against sin, we can never win on our own. You see, all of us are born into sin, and no matter what we do, no matter how many works, no matter how many times we pray, no matter how many Bible verses we memorize, no matter how much we give, no matter how much we serve, no matter, no matter there's no work that can get us set free 
from the penalty of sin, which is death. But God loved us enough that he made a way. He sent the rescuer. He sent Jesus so that we could just believe that he is who he says he is and take him at his word. And we will be delivered from sin, death, and the grave. And so today, maybe you're realizing for the first time that you've never had forgiveness of your sins, that you've been trying to earn your way to being a good person. And I want to tell you, it won't work. The only way that you can have a life and life eternal that will last is through Christ Jesus. And when you trust him as your deliverer, nothing this world will throw at you will ever defeat you. It may put you down, but you'll get back up every time because Jesus is the one who's won the victory. Jesus is the one who is your deliverer. So today, I'm going to ask every head to bow and every eye to close. I just want to ask you, have you ever given your life to Jesus? You see, this is your moment. This is why we do what we do every week. It's great to know that Jesus is our victor, and it's great to know that he is our savior. But, you know, Jesus needs to be Lord of your life for you to experience the victory as well. And that only happens when you trust him as your Lord and savior. And we're about to say a prayer in, the mo- in, the, in just a moment. It's not the words of the prayer that saves you. It's the faith that Jesus alone is your deliverer, that Jesus alone is your rescuer. And so everyone's going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask everyone to repeat it for the benefit of those who are coming to the faith for the first time. And then we're going to have a chance for you to respond. So everyone, please repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve on the cross for my sin, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again so that I may have life. Come take over my life. Teach me to follow you the rest of my life, step by step, the best way I know how. And with every head bow and every eye closed, if for the first time you can say that you have given your life to Jesus, that you trust him as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand. One, two, three. If that's you and you're in this house and it's the first time that you've given your life to Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a way that you can respond with a hand that's raised. If you're if you're listening by podcast, you're watching on Facebook, shoot a comment. If you're listening by podcast, reach out to us at prayer at thevine.tv or give us a call or text message at 864-580-6698. But I want you to know if you really wanna experience true deliverance, really want to experience peace that surpasses all understanding. And when it looks like the world is surrounding you, you want to have peace because you're surrounded by something greater. It only comes through having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for everyone else, we're already got our heads bowed. I'm just going to ask you, if you haven't already, get your arm around someone. I'm just going to say as we get ready for this week, I'm going to be praying that we together uh, as a family are reminded that Jesus is the one who is fighting our battles and we're reminded to put on his full armor. So dear Lord, just thank you uh, that you let us do this every day. Jesus, every day we are going to face a battle. You promise us in this world we will have tribulation for your name's sake, but you have already delivered us. You have already given us the victory. Jesus, you didn't die for us to stay on the sidelines. 
you allow us to get engaged in the battle. So I pray that as we go through the week, we're not trying to fight our battles on our own. We know that you have delivered us and that you are the victor and that you are the one that set us free. But let us be engaged in the battle and how we do that, Lord, remind us to put on your full armor. Remind us to, to, to what you say about us. Remind us that we are your masterpiece made for a time such as this. Remind us that the shoes of the gospel of peace that we put on peace that pass all understanding. Remind us to put on the breastplate of righteousness and be covered by your grace and extend your grace to the world around us. Remind us to have the shield of faith and grow in faith each and every day. Jesus, remind us to put that helmet of salvation on. Remind us what you saved us from so that we can see others in our path that need the hope that only you can give and so that we can point them to you and Jesus. Remind us of your word to carry our sword each and every day. Jesus, thank you that we get to be here. Thank you for this day. We love you. We can't believe you let us do this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Be sure to join us next week as we talk about the greatest cause with our Good Work series. Have an awesome week.